Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Psalm 43 says this, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you, brother. Good morning. It is a great honor and a privilege to be here today. Um, This is my second time in Waynesboro, Virginia. Um, I've I've came through for the very first time last year. Actually, this time when I was Scott and I were talking and planning on uh, this particular date, um, I planned on coming up. And and the day before I left Lakeland, two two days ago, um, my car broke down, and it's in the shop. Um, with, uh, you know, having transmission problems. And so I had to drive a 20-year-old Buick LeSabre that I used just for very local things. So I drove a 20-year-old Buick LeSabre up here, which is very, uh, well, it, it really invigorated my prayer life. Um, and, uh, you know, talk about leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Yeah, so that was really, actually, you know, Buicks are a great pastor's car. They really are. Like, every free Methodist pastor should have a Buick LeSabre. In fact... It might be a good idea for pastor's appreciation this year. <laughs> if you guys all put your money together, you could buy an old Buick LeSabre and, and give it to Scott for pastor's appreciation. It's really good. In fact, before I leave, we could work out a deal. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You are blessed to live here. Uh, this is such a beautiful part of the country. Scott said, I came all the way from beautiful Florida. Be- Florida is beautiful on the edges, around the coastline. You get inland, it is ugly. It is ugly, ugly. Virginia is beautiful. Uh, last year, my wife took a, a month-long trip to Germany. She's from Germany. She was going to be gone for a month. And so, you know, I'm, in my head, I'm still like 18 years old. It's that proof that our souls are eternal. They don't ever die. We're 18. That's it. That's how old we are. I'm not going to get older than that. So I decided while she was gone, I was going to take a little motorcycle ride. So I jumped on my motorcycle. And at the end of my second day, I came over the mountain into Waynesboro, Virginia. And I thought, wow, that Shenandoah Valley opened up in front of me. And I was in love. I said, this place is gorgeous gorgeous. So you are very blessed to live where you live. And it was my honor to be here and be able to come back and see it. The mountains hid everything from me yesterday when I came across. It was just clouds and rain, but I know what's here. It's beautiful and you're blessed. Well, today, like uh, Pastor Scott said, we're going to be in Psalm 43. 
I don't write anything down when I preach. I, I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it could be a very short sermon or if it starts to get too long, I think you promised that you'd let me know, right? Yeah, okay. So just throw a shoe or something like that or, you know, give the, you know. So we're going to be in Psalm 43. Now, like Scott said, I, he said, you can preach about any psalm you want to. And I didn't know what to preach from. And so I began to pray and I began to look through the psalms. And, and for some reason, I just I felt the Spirit telling me to land on this one. And, and I've never preached from this before. It, it's not a very well-known psalm. It's not like one that you hear preached all the time. It's not, it's not like 42 that starts out as, as the deer pans for streams of water. I mean, we sing about that one, right? Um, but this one's just kind of there. It doesn't even have an author assigned to it. So I decided to dig a little bit. As I read it, and you heard Pastor Scott read it, as you read it, it sounds like David to me, right? Doesn't it sound like King David? It, it just has kind of his language and it seems to have. And so I began to dig around and look a little bit to see who, who wrote this. It sounds a whole lot like Psalm 42. It's got a lot of the same language in it, but Psalm 42 says that it's from the sons of Korah. So I had to look into that. Turns out the son of Korah were really just a singing group. Right? They were like the Osmonds or the Jackson Five or something like that. Right? They were temple singers. They were the ones who, who, who sang songs and performed. Um, but as I read a lot of the commentators and I read a lot of the early writers, um, they all attributed the authorship of Psalm 42 and 43 to David, saying this is probably from King David. The sons of Korah probably performed it. Um, but, but you can't take this away from David. In fact, um, even though he's Baptist, I'm going to quote him if it's okay. Right? Charles Spurgeon said, that taking Psalm 42 and 43 away from King David would be like taking, um, uh, what's, the, what's the book, Pilgrim's Progress away from John Bunyan, right? So they pretty much landed. And that's what I think it is, so that's where we're going to work with that assumption. So Psalm 43 was most likely, as far as people way smarter than me think, written by King David. And it was written during a time when he was in exile because his son Absalom had taken over his kingdom and had forced him into hiding. He's basically running for his life because his, kid, his son had taken over the kingdom. So David is in hiding. And I just want to tell you that because you need to know the background. You need to know the context of where he's coming from. So if you can imagine King David, you know David. David who was the shepherd among shepherds, the one who slew Goliath, the one who unified the kingdom, brought him all under one kingship in Jerusalem, right? This powerful king, this friend of God. We've read about his triumphs and we've read about his failures. But David was an incredible person. And here he is now. His entire kingdom has been taken away from him by his kid, right? Rotten kids, right? Have you ever been there? You know, if you're a parent, you're like, mm, right? This is, you know, Epsilon was a bad seed. He really was, you know? If you read some of Solomon's writings, Solomon happened to be Epsilon's brother, right? And Solomon said things like, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. If you love your son, you'll be careful to discipline him because he knows what happens when, when you become entitled and you become like Absalom. So that's anyway. So Absalom was the one that took over the kingdom. So David is now in hiding. He's hiding from Absalom. He's afraid for his life and he's probably in a cave or probably in some place where nobody can find him. And this is where this begins to pour out. If you can begin to imagine that, and David begins this. And let's just walk through Psalm 43 together. Before I start, I just want to tell you, as I read this, I'm not a biblical scholar by any means. In fact, I spend most of my time with bikers and, and people at a brewery, right? So 
Get me in context. I'm usually down here on the bottom shelf. But as I begin to read this, I, I notice that there's like four different sections of this. And I, and I want you to see it too, because the first section is what I call the pit. It's verses one and two. It's the pit, right? And you all know what the pit is, right? The section number two, which is verse three, I call it the petition. It's where David begins to call out to God. And four, I call it praise. It's where David begins to worship or begins to talk about worship. And then five, give us a proper perspective, right? That's how my mind just broke it up into these four sections. So you can follow me that way. So the first one is the pit. And we're all familiar with the pit, right? We've all been in a pit. Have you ever been in a pit? Yeah, me too. You know what happens in the pit? We turn inwards, right? We begin to feel, we've, you know, even if the reason we're in the pit is valid, we begin to feel, you get into that muck, right? And, and if you've been there, you know where that is. And maybe this is where depression sets in. Our real life um, situations will force into, put us into a place where we just turn, ugh, right? And then when you're in the pit, one of the things that happens is you begin to get very inward focused and your skin begins to get very thin, right? Which means that every time anybody says anything to you, 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 you take it the wrong way, right? You, you begin to lean on your feelings. You ever met people like that? Like whatever they feel is their, is their truth, right? Whatever they feel is true. And that's kind of what's part, partly what's wrong with our world today. It's because everyone's leaning on their feelings instead of leaning on the truth, right? But that's something that happens in the pit. Our skin gets real thin. People will say something. We get offended really easily. We get our feelings hurt and we get our bristle, right? I can't believe they said that, right? Have you been there? That's what happens in the pit. And then we begin to get these feelings and we begin to lean on our feelings instead of the truth. And we begin to, begin, we begin to believe lies, lies. And that's what David does here in the pit. So let's just read it together. We'll go slow through it. He starts off, he says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Now, is this right? Yeah. You know, here's a guy who has spent his entire life building this kingdom, right? He has poured himself in. He has led them before the Lord. He has done a lot of things right, a lot of things wrong. But here's a guy who has poured himself into this. And now the entire nation is going to his son who just took over the kingdom. So that's justified, I think. Like, okay, so, so plead my cause against this unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Now, who's he talking about? His son, Right? Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. And we've all experienced that. But then he goes into this. You are God, my stronghold. Like I've put all my faith into you. I've done everything right. Why have you rejected me? Can I ask you a question? Is that truth? What is that? That's a feeling, right? David feels rejected. He's looking at his current situation and he's saying, woe is me. He's having a pity party. You know, people do that today. Our culture is full of that today. Unfortunately, the church is full of that today. We're a victim, right? People do things to us and we become a victim. And it's so easy to become a victim because then we're not responsible for anything we do. It's their fault, right? We become a victim. And that's kind of where David is. He's feeling this. He's feeling like God's rejecting him. But you and I know God didn't reject him. In fact, through David, we have Jesus, right? We're still talking about David today. We didn't, God didn't reject him. It's just a feeling. 
Feelings are not truth. Feelings, if you get one thing today, get a tattoo that says that. Feelings, no, don't, don't get a tattoo. <laughs> Feelings, I actually have, no, no, I don't. I don't have a tattoo. Feelings are not truth. Your feelings are real. It's something that you really feel. They're really there, but they are not truth. This is truth. And anytime your feelings take you in a direction other than this, it's a lie. All right, church? This is, a, this is just a feeling that David's feeling. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? You know, can I tell you just a quick, a quick this is a quick illustration about how feelings are not truth. My kids live up in New York. I live in Florida. I have five grandchildren up in New York. I only get to see them one week or maybe two weeks a year. Because my son owns his own company and he's busy and my daughter is a manager of a bakery and she's busy and she's got three little ones and they're running in different directions. So they never come, they don't get a chance to come to Florida unless I pay for it. (laughs) Then suddenly they're freed up, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I don't get to see them very often. So a few weeks ago, I'm sitting in my recliner and for some reason in my head, I heard something on TV that said Father's Day. And I was like, oh, it's Father's Day. It's Sunday. It's Father's Day. So I'm like, oh, I forgot all about Father's Day. And so I go to church and we go through the whole church service. The pastor never mentions anything about Father's Day. And that put me off a little bit, right? I was like, why you want me to mention? You didn't even talk about Father's Day. You didn't acknowledge these poor guys who pour themselves into their kids. And then their kids are terrible. I mean, look what happened to David, right? Like, <laughs> I can't believe he didn't acknowledge it. So then I go home and I check my phone, not a text, not a call, nothing from my kids. I'm like, what? now I'm hurt. Seriously, like I, I, it's, it, it's, it's come to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm not even thinking about the fact that the pastor messed up. I'm hurt because my own kids, my grandkids, like nobody sent me a, hey, happy Father's Day, Dad, love you, nothing. That's all I need. I don't, I don't need a lot. And, and the day goes on and the hours tick by and I'm getting more and more hurt. And then by the end of the day, I was angry. Seriously, I was angry. And, and my wife said, what's the matter with you? And I said, I just, I'm just, she, go, she always says, I, 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 I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> it has something to do with a monthly cycle that I go through. She calls it manstrating. I don't know what it is. She goes, are you having a problem? Are you like upset? What are you upset about? And I'm like, I, I'm just... She goes, what are you mad about? And I said, you know, my, the kids never called today. They never, they never called. They never sent me. And she goes, what? Why were you looking forward to a call? I said, it's Father's Day. And she goes, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not? No. <laughs> Everything I felt. I mean, and let me tell you, in my head, I'm working, th- I'm working through scenarios, right? I'm working through scenarios like, well, he's probably mad at me. You know, he'd probably, because I said this, or I did this, and, and now he's mad at me. Well, I'm, I'm mad at him, right? And I, and I begin to, you know, seriously, like, I'm mad at my son, and I'm mad at my daughter, like, and I don't even know why, and I'm feeling all these things, and it was all a lie. It wasn't true. We do that all the time. We do that stuff all the time. Feelings are not truth. And if you let them lead you, they will lead you astray almost every time, right? Jeremiah said the heart is is. is Desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful. Desperately wicked. 
Can't trust it. Feelings aren't truth. So David's in this place where he's just in the muck. He's in the pit. Like he's just, ugh, right? And he's, now he's beginning to feel his feelings and he's calling out to God and he feels like God's just left him a million miles away. And you felt that too. You feel like God's a million miles away and God doesn't go anywhere. God is right here with David. But David does something here now that is something that we need to learn to do. Something that we need to learn to do as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to get really good at this. David begins to turn his heart, he begins to turn his head, begins to turn his eyes towards heaven, away from his current situation. So he's in the pit, but he's beginning to turn his eyes out of the pit. And that's what we need to learn to do. That's what we're called to do. And that's what this psalm teaches us to do. And this is why I think God landed on it. It gives us a set of steps that we can walk up to get out of the pit. All right? So if you're stuck in this place, if you're in that place where you feel like you're in the pit and your feelings are hurt and you're angry at people and now you've put up walls of protection against people and you don't let no one in, no one out, these are steps that you can climb up to get out of the pit. All right? The first thing is this. Follow, follow along with David here. He begins to turn and he, and he turns to God and says this. He goes, send me your light. As opposed to the darkness that he's living in, right? Send me your light, and listen to this, in your faithful care. You know what that is? You know what he's doing? When he says your faithful care, he's remembering, right? He's thinking back. Send me your light in your faithful care. Can you look back in your life and remember times where God just came through for you? You remember times where God just delivered for you, where God came through, and, and stories from your mom and your dad and your grandparents, where they tell you stories about how God did this and God did that. That's the God we're serving. That's the God that we're with today. That's the one whose Holy Spirit is inside of us, right? Sometimes we just need to go back and remember, and this is what David's doing. Remember, maybe he's remembering the time that that lion attacked his sheep or the bear or the time he picked up that sling, and, and, and he's remembering God's faithfulness. And that's what he's doing. Send me your light and your faithful care. This is the petition. Let them lead me instead of the ugh, instead of the feelings. Let them lead me. And I love this. He says, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. When David wrote this, where was God's holy mountain? Zion, right? Where did God dwell? In the tabernacle, right? In the tent, of me, in the tent. In the, in the Ark of the Covenant, right? It, it just so happens to be where David was supposed to be too, <laughs> right? He's saying, lead me back to where I belong. Lead me back to your presence. So when you're in the pit and you're stuck in your feelings, the best thing you can do is begin to ask God to lead you back into his presence. Lead me back into your presence because that's where we need to be. And then we go from the petition to praise. He says, then I will go to the altar of God to God, my joy and my delight. Do you see it turning? Do you see him going from the, Ugh, why must I go out morning? And he turns to God and says, my, my God and my joy. He said, I will praise you with the lair. My God, oh God. He's beginning to praise. And it's, have you ever gone to church before? Have you ever gone to church before where you've had a horrible week? Where it's just been terrible. Right? Like today, this happened to me today. Like I came in here, I'm nervous. I don't know anybody, right? I'm far from home. I don't feel good. But when you guys led us in worship today, everything changed. Everything changed. I felt like I was part of my family. 
I was with my family, and I am, because that's the reality, right? My feelings got trumped because I began to praise God, and that's what, God, that's what David's doing. I will praise you with the lair, oh God, my God. And then listen to this. From the pit to the proper perspective, David says, why my soul, you so downcast? He's talking to himself. What's wrong with you? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why are you so downcast? You get caught up, right? He, what he did is he stepped out of the pit and looked at himself and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then he says this, and this is the proper perspective. This is where we need to go. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my Savior, and my God. Amen? My friends, we need to get this. We need to get this. Like, I hope you'll write this down. I hope you'll write down pit, right? Petition, praise, and proper perspective. Write it down. Because you know what? Maybe you're living in a pit today. Maybe you've been in a pit for a long time. You know what happens? I know a lot of people. I've been a pastor for 22 years now. I've met people who like the pit. In fact, the pit has become their identity, right? Because they're victims, right? And maybe you're here today and something bad has happened to you and it's put you in a bad situation. Maybe somebody hurts you bad. And maybe, maybe things have gone wrong. Maybe you lost your job or you lost an important relationship or maybe somebody just said something to you that just hurts your feelings and, and maybe it's happened over and over again and you've just, now you're in a pit and you just put up the walls. I hope that today you'll hear this. Because that's not where you belong. That's not where a follower of Jesus Christ should live. Not in a pit. Some people decorate the pit. They put up pictures on the wall. They hang curtains, right? Things like that. It's not a place to be. I want you to today just to be honest with yourself. Are you living in a pit? Because if you are, then today's the day that you need to step out of the pit. And here's why you need to step out of the pit. Because... Your role within the kingdom of God is so vitally important. So vitally important that the world without you, your church family, without you being fully in, without being all in, is hurting. Our culture is hurting. Our country is hurting. Waynesboro is hurting if you're living in a pit and you've made, made yourself comfortable there. I want to I flip over to another portion of scripture here. Over to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 11. Here's why you can't be in a pit. You see, when you're in a pit, you're living in your flesh. You're living in your flesh. We call it our carnal nature. The thing about our flesh is, is that when we begin to follow Jesus, we're supposed to kill it. <laughs> right? Wesley said the invitation to follow Jesus was an invitation to come and die. Die. So if you're living in the pit, you're, not, you're living in the flesh and you're, you're not living the way you should. You have a vital role to play. Chapter 5, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians says this. It says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. You know why? Because we're witnesses. 
right? If we've asked Jesus Christ, if we've surrendered our life to Jesus Christ and we've asked him to come in our heart and you've done all that, you've come to the altar, you've prayed the prayer, wherever you were, in your car, or at work, or at home, wherever, if you've come to that place where you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is now what you're called to. You're called to this. Listen to this. Verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we need to begin living for him. And you can't live for Jesus if you're living in a pit. You can't. The world's hurting. I mean, look at the world today. I mean, you're watching probably the same news that I am, right? It's a mess. Our world's a mess. I mean, and people say, oh yeah, the Ukraine, and stuff. that's normal. Those kind of wars are normal. What's not normal is the, is the unmooring from the truth that our culture has began to do. Our culture has become unmoored from truth and is just kind of bobbing around in this sea of degradation. It's, it's, it's ugly today. Everyone's floating around making decisions based upon their feelings. But you, you are witnesses. You are witnesses. You are the hope. He says, therefore I say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come, the old is gone. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whose job is it to declare the good news? Not, not just me. I know everyone wants to believe it's just the guy you paid to stand up front, but that's just not the truth. Paul didn't write this to me. He wrote it to us, right? This is all of us. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that, and this is the gospel, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the good news. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Us. Us. My friends, your life is the light that this world will look at and decide their decision about Jesus Christ. Right? Several years ago, I was, I was um, appointed to a church up in western New York. It was called the Gary Free Methodist Church. And the church had been there. It was one of the original Free Methodist churches. It had been there since 1886. Right? It was an old-time church, a white clapboard, New England-looking church, been there for a long time. The church had been very vibrant, a church of about 350 people. They were at the point where they needed to, to build a new sanctuary because they, you know, the church was growing, people were getting saved, things were good, and, and, but they couldn't quite come to an agreement on what that new sanctuary should look like. Right? Who cares? Right? Really, who cares? You know, just, it's just a barn, right? You're just, just building the barn to bring the harvest in, right? Just make sure there's enough room. That's all that really matters. But they were fighting over the stuff that everybody fights over when they build churches, right? So they, they, they started to have this, these little infightings, right? This little, and they got themselves into a pit, and their skin got thin. And so-and-so would say this, and they'd be like, 
Well, I can't believe he said that to me. Well, I'm not going to do that. And they began to fight amongst each other, and their feelings got hurt. And then, and then, of course, you know what happens when your feelings are hurt. You begin to get your minions together, right? You want to gather your people who agree with you, and all, and you vilify those people, and these people do the same thing. You vilify those people. We're the body of Christ. People are arguing and hating each other over the, over the building. I wasn't even there yet at this time. But that, they had gotten so locked into this battle, so angry with each other, so hateful towards each other, that the church finally split. Now, guess what? You don't need a new building now, right? The church finally split, and the hatred poured out into the community, and the entire town, the people who didn't even come to our church, or come to that church, found out about how horrible these people were. And they effectively lost their witness in that community. When I, by the time I came, the church had already t- split. It was done, right? It split. And it took me eight years to take that church from that place, walk people through restoration. I had to take all the leadership and put them on church discipline and suspend their memberships. And it was ugly. Like, it was ugly. But I had to go through all this stuff to begin to rebuild these people who had gotten themselves into a pit, gotten their eyes off Jesus and off the mission and, and began to rebuild them again so that they could love each other and then begin to love the people outside the community. It took eight years to do that. Eight years of these people out in the, I'd go out in the community and they'd say, oh, you're the pastor of that free Methodist church, aren't you? Yep, well, we, we used to go there. I'd never go in there. Those people are horrible. <laughs> That's what happens. It's what happens when we begin to live in the pit. When we begin to let our feelings get around. But we can't do that anymore because we're living in such a time as this where our world is broken, our culture is broken, and it needs you to be the light of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are today, but you do. And God does. I said the first thing you need to do when you choose to follow Jesus Christ or when you choose to surrender your life is you need to do what Jesus, you need to pick up your cross. And picking up your cross means dying to yourself. When Jesus picked up his cross, it was the end of him as far as his flesh went, right? He was done. He was going to die. And he invited us that if anyone would come after me to have to pick up their cross and follow me. So I want to invite you today. Maybe the first thing you need to do is you need to stick a knife in the flesh. And don't let your flesh dictate anymore what the truth is. But rather, allow the truth to be your truth again. The world needs you. Waynesboro needs you. The United States of America needs you. And the people that we send abroad to declare the good news of Jesus Christ around the world need you. Ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's what you are. Is that what you're doing? So I want to invite you today as we close Pastor, I don't know how you want to close. or, But maybe you just need to come to the altar today. You might say, oh, no, I don't want to do that. It's embarrassing. Kill the flesh. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is kill the flesh, all right? If you're embarrassed, if you're uncomfortable, if you're not sure, you know, and, and that's usually because you're afraid of what other people think about you. If you're worried about what other people think about you, you're not ready. You need to kill that flesh. Kill that flesh. So maybe you're in a bad place today. I invite you to stick a knife in the flesh. Come before the Lord. Do what David did. Begin to turn to God 
and say, Lord, lead me out of the pit. Lead me out so that I can be who you want me to be. He's got a special, special job for you, a special mission for you, and he loves you. And he doesn't want you to live there anymore. He's got a hope and a plan and a future for you. But you need to come out of the pit if that's where you are today. If you are, if you are not in the pit, you can be a good witness, right? You can go around and love Jesus and you can love people like Jesus loved Jesus. You know, I've never been in this church before today, but do you know how many times over the last 15 or 20 years of my life is I've talked to people who have been here. You know, you might remember Larry Thomas, you know, if you were here a long time. Larry, Larry and I have coffee every single day, right? I hear about Larry Thomas all day. Larry Thomas talks about Waynesboro all the time. He loves it here. Chris Police was one of my good friends before he came here and I didn't talk to him anymore after. No, I didn't. Listen, Chris Police uh, and, and many other people who have come through this church. Do you know how many times over the last 20 years I've heard the name Henry Wingfield? Do you know how many times I've heard that name brought up? 20, I've never been in this church a day in my life, but he stood as a witness to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And his name reached me thousands of miles or hundreds of miles away, wherever we were. I've heard of Henry Wingfield about leading people to Jesus Christ and what a humble servant he was. I want all of y'all to have that kind of a legacy. I want all y'all to be like Henry Wingfield and love Jesus and speak Jesus and die to your flesh and let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fill you up and lead you on. Amen? Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.